0: You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Are you in the ark?
1: Manna was a type of Jesus. He talked about the man in the wilderness. He says, but I'm the bread of life. You eat of me and you're never going to be hungry again. Drink what I'm going to give you and you're never going to be thirsty again. The rock that followed them, Paul says the rock that followed them in the wilderness was Christ. The rock, what did it do? Out of a rock came water to satiate their thirst. Who's Jesus? He's the rock that doesn't roll.
0: In your journey, have you ever sought a new beginning through God's Word? When you immerse yourself in the Bible, do you find the inspiration for a fresh start? In today's message, Pastor Jeff illustrates that by diving into the depths of God's Word, you can discover the keys to renewal and a new beginning. Regardless of your past or present circumstances, the Word of God provides a foundation for a rejuvenated and purposeful life. Embrace the raw power of God's Word, allowing it to illuminate your path. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of 1 Peter Chapter 3 as he continues his message, The Question of Suffering.
1: No preacher can preach without a clear conscience. No Christian will witness without a clear conscience. And guess what? If your conscience is not clear, you won't pray. You won't pray good. No,
2: because you you feel guilty before God. How are you going to go before him with confidence if if your conscience isn't clear? So he said, having a good conscience, so that when they defame you as an evildoer,
1: uh, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed because they got nothing on you. Your conscience is clear. Our persecutors have no weapon against us when we've got a clear conscience. I'm not talking about living a perfect life. I'm talking about living a sincere life in Christ. All the times the Apostle Paul was taken to court over and over again, all the way up to Caesar, yet he was always so bold, never shrunk in fear. Why? His conscience was clear. Verse 17, for it's better if it be the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now do you catch that? That sometimes the will of God allows us to suffer for the cause of Christ. Sometimes we will suffer for the cause of Christ within
2: the framework and context of the will of God. Well, why would God let me go through that? I'm glad you asked.
1: because Peter told us in chapter one, let me read it again. Be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though right now the going is rough. King James says you're you're in heaviness through manifold temptations and testings. But right now you're going through some rough times down here. These trials are only to test your faith, to see whether or not it's strong and pure. It's being tested as fire tests gold and purifies it. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried in the test tube of fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day of his return. There's always a good return when we go through trials with the right reason, right reaction, and right resolve. Next, Peter turns and points to Jesus as an example of suffering. Peter says that first Jesus Suffering on the cross was redemptive. Everybody say redemptive. Why was he on the cross? It was redemptive. He points to his vicarious
2: atonement. What's vicarious mean? In our place. Vicarious. He suffered in our place. For Christ
1: also suffered once for sins. Here it is. The just him for the unjust us. That he might bring us to God. How'd you come into contact with God? Jesus brought you. How are you, did you ever experience the love of God in your heart? Jesus escorted you into his presence. He was the bridge over your troubled water. Jesus brought you to God. So he's hanging on the cross and his suffering eclipsed all other suffering. Nobody suffered like Jesus, but hanging on the cross, he did it in our
2: place vicariously in our place instead of us in our stead. The Bible says he was a man of
1: sorrows, acquainted with grief. Our Lord's life was marked by suffering. Peter points to his victorious attainment once he suffered, being put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive by the Spirit. The vicarious atonement accomplished for us by Christ at Calvary's cross is the greatest reason for his sufferings. It's why he came. Son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. For this purpose, I was manifested. Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. What's the work of the devil, the biggest one? Death. He could have opted out at any time. He told us I could call on 12 legions of angels right now and they would come and whisk me out of here, but he didn't. He had come into this world with the sole purpose of dying for our sins, the just Him for the unjust us, that He might bring us to God. His atonement was a plan worked out in eternity past. God knew the human race would be plunged into sin and that a rescue operation would be
2: necessary. So when Jesus was born, first Christmas morn, the rescue operation. Was afoot. And it involved an exchange. Christ would take our place and exchange. And we would take his place and exchange. All of our guilt
1: and sin and suffering and shame would be transferred to him. And all of his holiness and righteousness and goodness would be transferred to us. Yeah. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Oh my, he would die so that we might live. And the ground zero of the exchange would be a cross on a skull-shaped hill named Golgotha. That's, that was ground zero for the divine exchange. So are you laden down with sin? Go to the cross. Because if you go to the cross, you'll experience the exchange. You say, forgive me my sins. He says, you got it, because I took them on me already on the cross. Forgive me. And he says, and while you're at it, let me give you my righteousness. Divine exchange. And although he was put to death in the flesh, as, the Holy, as Peter says, he was quickened by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was active in every part of Jesus' life. You ever thought about it? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He ministered to others the power of the Holy Spirit. His whole life was bookmarked and filled with the Holy Spirit. He went all the way cro- the cross to die for you and me. I'm so thankful for the cross. I'm so thankful for the empty tomb. He rose from the dead that we too might rise at the day of his return. Amen. Now, we're coming now to one of the most difficult passages in the whole New Testament. I promise you. Here it is, verse 19. By whom? Now you got to keep track of the pronouns here. By
2: whom? By whom? The whom is the Holy Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Peter is
1: telling us the Lord Jesus, upon his death, went to the underworld to make a proclamation. We are told in the next verse who the spirits were that he addressed. So let me stop here just for a second, be sure we catch it. He's telling us here. Then when Jesus said, it is finished, and his body died, Joseph of Arimathea took him down, put him in the tomb. Where was he between the day of his death and the day of his resurrection? Where was he? We're told, at least part of the time, he
2: was proclaiming to spirits who were in prison his victory. Now let me quickly blow one thing out of the water. It has been taught that Jesus
1: was taken to hell. And in hell, he was tormented for three days and nights to finish the work of atonement. And when he came out, he was born again.
2: Oh, I'm telling you, I ain't naming names. But I can tell you it's been taught. In a huge
1: way. And it's so wrong. Because when he said it is finished, guess what that means? It's finished. He didn't say it's about to be finished, let me get on to hell and finish it. No, he said it is now, finished. And the very thought that Jesus had to be born again is heresy. Of the worst kind. Because that means he sinned. Because the only way you've got to be born again is if you, you have a fallen nature. Jesus has no fallen nature. He never had a fallen nature. He never gave up his deity. He never ceased to be God. So the, that whole thing. So, but what did happen? Well, he went to an underworld. And here, verse 20 tells us who he talked to. Who formerly, now this is the spirits in prison. Who were they? Who formerly were disobedient. When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water.
2: All right. Let's unpack this. First, the word for went. He, he went. He went. Is a Greek word that means to go on a journey. It's telling us that he went Far. He went on a journey to a a far place. What was it? It was the underworld. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. Um, So his journey was long and far. The
1: word for preach is from the Greek word to proclaim. It is not euangelion, which is to evangelize. That's not the Greek word. It's the word to proclaim. So he didn't go down there to evangelize. Nobody's getting saved in the underworld. He went down there to proclaim. The spirits he addresses in the underworld, he tells us who they are. They were those of the disobedient population of the world in Noah's day. We call them antediluvians because they were in the antediluvian age. That means the time before the great flood. So when you hear antediluvian, you just know what it means. The time before the great flood. So the antediluvians are the ones who
2: live in the antediluvian age. And they heard Noah's preaching for 120 years. Peter tells us he was a preacher of righteousness. He called them to
1: repentance and they did not repent. Not one conversion.
2: Boy, I don't know if I could have lasted 120 years with not one conversion. That would deflate a preacher. But these spirits are said to be in prison. This word literally means a cage. Now, let's go a little deeper. Hang with me, track with me. There's four Greek words for the underworld. The first is Gehenna. Jesus used the Greek word Gehenna a lot when he talked about hell. But what was it? It was a real place in Jerusalem. It was a deep, narrow valley to the south
1: of Jerusalem, Gehenna, where the idolatrous Jews offered their children in sacrifice to Molech in Old Testament times. So it was
2: in a cursed place. Because any time you kill your children, that place becomes accursed. It afterwards became the common receptacle in New Testament times. By Jesus' day,
1: it was a receptacle like we would call it a city dump.
2: Yeah, I got to fill in my pickup, go down to the dump, get rid of this stuff. But it was really wretched.
1: All the garbage, all the refuse of the city, and on top of that, bodies of dead animals and dead criminals, all were thrown in to this place that burned 24/7. twenty four seven. When I was in Haiti, we were ministering in Haiti, there's called the river of fire in Haiti. And the river of fire is real because they they have nothing like we have. They have no no cleanliness. The, the, Haiti was just mind-numbingly poverty stricken. And so what they do, they go to this river and they dump all their garbage into the river, they light it on fire as it goes down the river. And all this burning trash is always going down this river. And it's called the River of Fire.
2: And it burns 24-7. Gehenna burned 24-7. And over time, it became an image, an illustration, a type of hell.
1: And it's repeatedly, as I said, used by Jesus to describe eternal punishment. Because the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies as he has described hell. So he would use Gehenna as a living illustration for the people of his day to describe and illustrate hell. It burns, it's wretched, it's rotten. Don't ever be so dumb as to say, well, I'm just gonna go down there with my buddies and pull down
2: the back of the pickup and drink beer and talk about the good old days. Hello. No. You see nothing there. You find no one there. It's pitch black, outer darkness. The rich man in Jesus' story went to Hades, and I'm going to talk about Hades in a second, went to Hades.
1: And immediately felt pain, I'm thirsty, give me water on my tongue. Let me go back to earth and tell my brothers about this place so they can avoid it.
2: So he had memory, he had awareness, he he was cognizant of his surroundings.
1: Don't ever make light of hell, that's just stupidity talking. So Jesus used it as an illustration of the final judgment. So that's Gehenna. Now here's the second one, is Hades. That's the second place under, underworld. Word for the underworld. In the Old Testament, it's called Sheol. So Sheol or Hades, same place. Jesus thought that Hades consists of two different spheres divided by an impassable, impossible gulf. Okay. So in Jesus' story, you had the rich man in the bad part of Hades, and you had his servant sitting in Abraham's bosom in the good part of Hades. And he is told, sitting in hell, in Hades, in torment, it says, being in torments, he said, and he was told, you can't
2: pass the gulf. There's no going there either way. So the other side is paradise. The bad side is Hades. Hades. The Lord himself went to Hades. Now,
1: this is where he went. This is where he went. When it says he went to the underworld, this is where he went. He went to Hades at the time of his death and he emptied the paradise section. I'm going to say that again. He emptied the paradise section. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the rest, they came out of there. When Jesus went down there to, to the good part, he emptied it. It says he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So he emptied the paradise section. Um, You can read about that in Ephesians 4, 8 to 10. That's where he went. Now, third word is the abyss. And demons let us know about the abyss. Demon spirits. Remember when Jesus was casting them out? And they said, please don't send us to the abyss. Watch this, before our time. It's also called the bottomless pit. That's the abyss, and you don't know much about it. I don't know much about it because the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about it, except that it's there. Fourth place for the underworld is Tartarus. That's found in 2 Peter 2, 4, and that's Tartarus is the prison where the fallen angels are held awaiting the final judgment. Tartarus. The entire population of Noah's day failed to repent. By the time the ark sailed, only Noah and his family were saved So Jesus proclaimed his victory to those he was going to take out of the good part and he proclaimed his victory to those that
2: were in the bad part. Sobering, isn't it? So why do we preach the gospel? And why do
1: we go for souls all the time? Because the moment that you go to that cross and the blood of Christ covers your sin, You are translated, or you are delivered, Colossians 1.13, you are delivered from the power and the rule of darkness, and you are translated to the kingdom of God's dear Son. Amen? Amen? And it's um, the single greatest, most important decision in all of life, bar none. What'd you do with Jesus? What'd you do with Jesus? All right? Now we're closing. The chapter closes out with a word about water baptism. Verse 21, there is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Now, he's not talking about baptism cleansing your body of dirt. That's not what he's saying. But the answer of a good conscience towards God. Now, we're water baptizing this Sunday. Does water baptism save you? No. The blood of Jesus saves you. But what does water baptism represent? It represents that you are buried with Christ by baptism into his death. Your old life is buried with Christ. And you have been raised to walk in the newness of life. So we have been raised with him in his resurrection on the inside. All right? So, he says, when you get water baptized, you're testifying that you have come to Christ and so therefore you have a good conscience. Your conscience is clear, right? Forgiven of sin. It says Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. That's where he is right now. Angels and authorities and powers are all subject to him. Now, let me tell you what an antitype is and we close because we read the word antitype. What is that? An antitype is a fulfillment or a completion of an earlier truth revealed in the Bible in the Old Testament generally. An antitype in the New Testament is foreshadowed by a type, its counterpart in the Old Testament. So that, for instance, the ark is a type of Christ. If you were in Noah's day, there weren't five ways out. There weren't ten ways out. There weren't two ways out of God's coming judgment. There was only one. Get on that ark. If you don't get on that ark, you're going to perish. It's a type of Christ. So when you get water baptized, you're testifying, I got into the ark, and I'm saved. Amen? If you're saved, that boat will float. Right? When judgment comes. But is it not a type? The ark, a type? Because there was only one way in that day. One way. He said, oh, there's more than one way. No, there's not. Jesus is the ark of the new covenant. There's only one way out of coming judgment. Because it's coming, folks, with a great ferocity. Are you in the ark? The manna was a type of Jesus. He talked about the manna in the wilderness. He says, but I'm the bread of life. You eat of me, and you're never going to be hungry again. Drink what I'm going to give you, and you're never going to be thirsty again. The rock that followed them, Paul says the rock that followed them in the wilderness was Christ. The rock, what did it do? Out of a rock came water to satiate their thirst. Who's Jesus? He's the rock that doesn't roll. Amen? Jesus is our rock. Amen? Now, watch this. He's our rock. And what does he do? Out of him comes the water of the spirit of life. So, in the Old Testament, That rock that they got the water out of, that was a type. And Jesus was the anti-type. He was the fulfillment of the type.
0: In today's message from Pastor Jeff, he showed you the importance of letting your suffering become a catalyst for growth. Discover the resilience and wisdom that emerges from finding purpose in the midst of your suffering. As you navigate the challenges that life presents, Allow your suffering to shape you into a stronger and more compassionate version of yourself. See suffering as a teacher, showing you not only endurance, but also progress in your character.
1: Hi everybody, this is Pastor Jeff Wickwire from Hardwired, and I've got something really special to share with you. For a gift of $20 or more, we're going to send you a beautiful hardwired pen and a bright LED flashlight with an attached keychain. It's blue in color and bordered in copper, and it's very pretty. It's our gift to you for supporting Hardwired. The set also contains a built-in stylus for your touchscreen devices. So to claim your gift set, visit our website at hardwire.org and just donate $20 or more. Click the Donate Now button in the top right corner. And thanks so much for being a part of the Hardwired family. And I assure you, every dollar that comes in is gonna go straight to reaching the world
0: with the Word of God. Have a blessed week. In his next message, Pastor Jeff wants you to discover the beauty of finding unbounded joy in God's love. Nothing is more important in your faith than centering your joy on God's perfect love. Experience the endless happiness that exudes from a deeper connection with Him. As you navigate life's curveballs. let the joy rooted in God's love be a constant source of strength and comfort. Embrace your connection with God's love and witness how your joy becomes a resilient force. Thanks for taking time to be with us today as we studied God's Word. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Jeff, visit hardwired.org. On behalf of Pastor Jeff and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again right here on Hardwired.